This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlemachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. That's turned down the right field line back toward the pole and it's out of here. Ronnie Mauricio with his first major league home run. A monstrous shot into the back of the Coca-Cola corner. Mauricio with a two-run shot, a 440-foot blast for his first of the big league, and it's 3-1 to one New York. What a day for the Mets. What a day for the Mets. Ronnie Mauricio going deep, Gary Cohen on the call, punctuating their day, their memorable day, with the home run call of the day. Great way to start your day. Absolutely. And we could do this thanks to our great friends at FanDuel. Thanks for sponsoring and powering us through the season. Also, at BB isn't boring. Go to the Twitter, Instagram accounts. Producer Evan dominating. He's feeling good about himself, so they're going to be even better because of the big news coming out of New York. The big day for the Mets. Not only did Ronnie Mauricio go deep, but yes, they got their president of baseball operations. David Stearns, they are so happy. They got the guy that they wanted. And we believe it's going to be longer than Carlos Correa. Congratulations, New York Mets. Absolutely. And by the way, speaking of baseballs and boring, thank you to Dylan Cease for spreading the word, wearing the baseball is a boring t-shirt on his post-game press conference. So it was just, that was just one of many, many examples of baseball isn't boring, catching fire, the cause, the conversation. And of course, part of this cause and conversation when it comes to this day is the Mets. And this is why we're going to lean into this one. We've already done it. We got producer Evan's reaction. I mean, he was so excited he almost couldn't speak. That's great. We're happy for him. He represented the fan. Now, the reporter. 
We're, we have Tim Britton of The Athletic. He's representing the person who's covering this, who has been covering this, who knows what's what, who knows all the info, who can give you the perspective. Tim Britton can do it all. He's been on the podcast before a couple different times, and he's always fantastic, and this is no exception. So if you want the definitive David Stearns go to the Mets podcast, this is the one. This is the one for you. All right? Here you go, Tim Britt. When big news happens, we turn to one person, particularly when it involves the New York Mets. It's Tim Britton. Tim, how are you? Good, Rob. What's going on? Can I tell you this? You have a T-shirt, right? I gave you a T-shirt. Yeah, I got a T-shirt. I'm, I'm wearing a. I have a red one. It is not the red T-shirt I'm wearing now. Um, oh, it's okay. It's because we, it's it's because I wear it so much. It's it's probably in the laundry right now. I feel that's true. Well, I feel like as we sit here, as this podcast is dropping, you it's it's a sort of a mark in time because this is the moment where it really takes off because Dylan sees after his game today was wearing his uh, baseballs and boring <laughs> shirt. This so, is this is the this is the leaping off point. It is. So the we have the post game press conferences. So far we have Tanner Hauk, we have Dylan Cease, and uh yeah, and we we will have Tim Britton at some point. <laughs> uh, so all right, well listen, I really appreciate it. It's a long day, a lot a lot of stuff going on. We had uh, our producer, producer Evan, who's a enormous Mets fan. He was coming out of his skin with excitement. And when I asked him, I said, why are you so excited? Give me some examples of what David Stern did. He's like, he, he kind of did, but really it was like, just the idea that the Mets didn't lose out on somebody, that they actually <laughs> got somebody that kind of the Carlos Correa, the front office, like, so he stayed and it worked out. Is do you get the, my first question is, do you get the sense that that's sort of where things are when it comes to Mets fandom that, you're like, yes, we, we we deserve good things, and this was a good thing. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how many Mets fans believe they deserve good things at this point, but <laughs> uh, I mean, this is this is a three year process that that has culminated in the hiring of David Stearns. You go back to I think it was November 10th of 2020, the day Steve Cohen was introduced as the the owner of the New York Mets, and they had Sandy Alderson as the team president, and the the entire plan that they laid out was we're going to go find the best person we can to run our baseball operations department as the president of baseball ops. And uh, Steve Cohen kind of misunderstood that, that, you know, this doesn't work like the financial world. You can't just say, I want that guy and snag him from another team. Uh, the Brewers <laughs> did not let them uh, talk to David Stearns that offseason. The Brewers did not let them talk to David Stearns the following offseason. You know, we wrote at The Athletic in November of 2021, as the Mets were on the precipice of hiring Billy Epler, it doesn't matter who the Mets are hiring as GM. They want David Stearns to be the president <laughs> of baseball ops. Um, and so, you know, it's they've, they've waited for so long. You know, they, they didn't look for one uh, a president of baseball ops last offseason because they knew Stearns was not available. That it, it was really a Stearns or bust search uh, for them dating back years at this point. Uh, and, and when Steve Cohen talked in, in late June, he said, you know, we are going to look for a president of baseball ops. Uh, and he basically drew a, a picture of David Stearns and said, this is the guy we want, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's just been, you know, the, the issue for the Mets, one of the, one of the significant issues that they've faced, and this dates back even before Cohen became owner is the constant churn that they have had in their front office. You know, Sandy Alderson was the GM for, for eight seasons. He stepped down in the middle of June of 2018. He was replaced by a triumvirate of three guys, 
and then after that, they hired Bernie Van Wagenen for two seasons. They hired Jared Porter to run baseball ops for essentially a month. Uh, they hired, you know, Zach Scott was in the acting GM for eight months. And then it was back to Alderson. Then it's been Epler for two years. I mean, I don't have enough fingers to count how many guys that's been in, in, less than five in just over five years. So the, the hope here is that Stearns who was signed to, who's agreed to a five-year contract can provide some semblance of stability in that front office. And that, you know, now finally they can start really doubling down and building what they want uh, as the foundation of a success of a sustainably successful franchise. Did the Houston rumors, do you think scared them at all? Or did it scare the people, the, the, the Mets, whether it's the, the, was that a reality you think, or that was just, I don't like think leverage, so. No. I mean, I, I like. I guess it added to Stearns's leverage. I, again, like the, the Mets had waited this long for him. They had made it very clear that he was the guy they wanted. There, I don't know that there was a backup plan. Like when when Cohen says we're going to hire a, ba- a president of baseball ops this offseason, I don't know if if David Stearns says no if they go through with that or if they just say you know we're fine with Billy Epler running things. I don't know if they go after James Click or someone like that uh, to run things here. Uh, so. Uh, it, it never seemed that likely that Houston would hire a GM one offseason and then switch and, and hire a president of baseball ops the next offseason. Uh, so I, I think Stearns had all the leverage to begin with. I think it was Joel Sherman in the New York Post who wrote that, that, that no one has ever had more leverage in an <laughs> office negotiation than David Stearns. Uh, we don't know what the money is. I assume it's going to be lar- uh, a big deal. Uh, that probably make him as, as well paid as any executive in baseball, maybe as well paid as any executive in American sports. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was the guy that the Mets had targeted for, for quite a while. Well, this is, you know, somebody said it or tweeted it that this was the most significant front office move since Andrew Freeman went from the Rays to the Dodgers. And, and I can see some of the correlation. I can see some of the comparison. Um, but, you know, it comes back to why. So, you know, you, you talk about the focus they have, the laser focus on David Stern. I get it. You know, it's from New York. I get it. Like he's had some success, but why him? Like why, what was, is it the idea of, well, he's done it. He's come from a successful organization and then he ran his own successful organization. And so he's going to make our organization successful. Like, is there something about David Stern other than being a local kid, which, you know, good for him. Uh, but but is there anything, something about them you think that they said that's the guy? You know, I think it's it's the the several facets of his his lineage. You know, it's not just obviously that he he grew up rooting for the Mets. I think he wrote for his student newspaper in college that like going to the uh, the first game back after September 11th of 2001 reaffirmed his his, his desire to work in sports and, and baseball in particular uh, as a profession. Uh, you know, he, he started off as an intern in the Mets office. Uh, they liked him a lot, but the Wilpons did not want to pay him uh, enough to keep him. Uh, but then he worked for, you know, worked in the Cleveland organization, which which obviously has a great reputation across the sport. Worked in Houston under Jeff Lunau, uh, got the job in Milwaukee. You know, that was a, an organization that had gone to the, the playoffs four times in 47 years before he took over. Uh, and they went to the playoffs four straight years, uh, starting in 2018 when he was there. You know, so th- the results kind of speak for themselves. And then you look at, uh, that he should have a, a pretty solid understanding of what it takes uh, in New York, what the Mets mean to their fan base, what it's like under that microscope in a way that, you know, not everyone who who's only been the GM of the Brewers might know. Um, and you look at what he's good at, and that's something that, you know, you, you compare him to Andrew Friedman. I, I talked to one uh, one executive in the American League who said, 
you know, I asked where, where does Stearns rank for you among like the the game's top executives, and he said Friedman and and Stearns are kind of like. Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz were before the draft. It's like everyone knows they're one and two. You just decide which way you want to pick them. And there's so, guys that are close, but they're three through five. So why? I mean, so why? Because obviously there's, there's some, you know, we do the, uh, well, this guy, this is what he does. And this is his strengths. You know, Dave Dombrowski, he likes to like, tr- just like do whatever it takes to get the here and the now. So other guys, maybe when they want to build things up, other guys are good at trades. I think the guys have, are maybe good in terms of developing guys. What is the thing is, or is it, maybe it's everything. I don't know. I mean, I think people, I think that people, and I ask you this honestly, because I think people look at Milwaukee and they say, yeah, you know, they've been good, but it's not like the Dodgers where you can identify exactly what they did or the Rays exactly what they did. So what is he good at? No, I I think uh, one source I talked to mentioned that, you know, he's a guy who goes, Head to head in transactions with uh, with other teams and wins at an alarming rate. <laughs> like you know, he, he mentioned kind of the Willie Adams trade with the Rays, and obviously like Drew Rasmussen went the other way. That's a pretty good arm going back to Tampa Bay. But Adams has been such a valuable piece to the Brewers since that time. Uh, you know, you go back to the two trades the Marl- uh, two of the trades the Marlins made when they were giving up their outfielders. You look at what they got back for Christian Yelich from Milwaukee, which wasn't a whole lot, and what they got back from from St. Louis from Marcelo Zuna, which was Sandy Alcantara who won the Cy Young last year, and Zach Gallen who might win it this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you know, it seems like and, and Yelich obviously a better player than Ozuna, a guy who won an MVP uh, in Milwaukee and finished second in another year. So uh, I think you know he does really well in trades. He maximizes his 40-man roster in a way that, uh, you know, we're, we're used to seeing the Dodgers very good at that. Tampa's very good at that. The Mets have not been good at that uh, for a long time. You know, th- this is a team that generally you look at uh, part pieces 31 through 40 on their 40-man roster. And that's really where they fall behind a lot of their, their peers uh, in the National League. And it, it's what's cost them this year is that they haven't had the depth to take over for, for underperformance or injury uh, from their main main guys. So I think that's what the Mets look at and say, you know, he he fits what we're looking for in terms of building a sustainable winner. And we're intrigued, obviously, by, you know, if he's able to unearth certain gems with the restrictions you have in Milwaukee, well, let's, like, like the Dodgers did with Friedman taking him out of Tampa, let's see what happens when we give him uh, the purse strings of Steve Cohen and what he can do in free agency. Right. So first of all, like you, when you're talking about the, you know, the, the Mets, I was actually talking to with about uh, this with uh Yankees pitcher, Matt Bowman today, who's a Princeton guy, very smart. I mean, almost as smart as a Duke guy. Um, but uh, nice. which, which as I tweeted, I said, not every day, Tim, not every, <laughs> you know, you know, the players I've interviewed throughout the years. And I think this was the first where I began the interview by saying, um, what made you choose Princeton over Harvard? So, <laughs> so, um, but you know, you're saying about how we're talking about bullpens and building teams and, 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 you know, it's how difficult it is to do the raise way in a bigger market. And, you know, then you have the Mets sort of extreme. We talk about, well, you know, most teams, as he says, as he pointed out, most teams, they're building their bullpen by just having a wave of guys come through. Guys who are, are are you could have a lot of flexibility with sending up and down, and maybe you'll hit on some, but not necessarily doing what the Mets have done, you know, and and and, and actually investing. Now, I think it, 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 the right way is somewhere in between. Like because look at the Red Sox, for instance. Where would they be without Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin? Why they're siphoning all these guys through? But so I, I'm just curious, like 
the for the Mets, how will Stearns do it? How has he been doing it? And will it look more like Friedman or will it look more like Milwaukee and Milwaukee being a little less aggressive, I guess, than Friedman? Yeah, I mean, I think the bullpen is an interesting area to talk about because that's one spot where the the, the Mets, you know, last year basically had no one returning in their bullpen, uh, and then they they you know sign Edwin Diaz, make him the highest paid reliever in, in Major League history. Uh, they they bring back Adam Adam Onovino, they make a trade for Brooks Raley. All those guys should be back next year, and then they made a whole lot of smaller deals for players that they that had for that you know that had options that they thought could could siphon through over the course of the season and almost none of them have worked out. Yeah, that's uh, the problem, you know. right? And and you look at you know Will Salmon and I at the Athletic wrote a story about the Mets, you know, developing a pitching lab uh that they opened in the this summer and you look at their pitching development pipeline and it's it's been pretty barren in the rotation, you know, David Peterson who was a first round pick has basically been the only guy to develop over the last seven years in their starting rotation into anything. And he's still a guy who doesn't have a set rotation spot going forward. Uh, and then in the bullpen, it's been pretty much as bad. It was Seth Lugo, essentially, uh, was the only guy who delivered any kind of value for the Mets as a, as a homegrown reliever. So, you know, they, they've kind of made the the big free agent investments in those guys. They're paying Diaz. I think it's $18 million next year. They're going to pay Adovino eight and a half. They're going to pay Rayleigh. I think it's six and a half. You know, that's... You know, that's and they paid, and Robertson was there too, right? I mean... This- yeah, Ro- I mean, they, they signed Robertson for $10 million. So they were, they're paying those guys, you know, 40-something million dollars this year in their bullpen. Uh, and uh, you would hope, if, if you're a major league team, that that's the amount you need to spend. You don't need to go out and sign more free agent relievers uh, when you've done that. And I think, I think the interesting thing with Stearns is this is a team that you know took its step back at the trade deadline and said, you know, we don't know how, you know, we're not going to go all in on 2024 the way we did on, on 22 and 23. But there are a lot of holes on this roster. Uh, and I don't know, you know, they're looking at, Three holes in the rotation. Uh, they need uh, a DH, at least one corner outfielder, uh, and a bunch of relievers. And I'm, I'm curious just how aggressive they are in free agency to fill those holes, or if they do try to kind of MacGyver it around that uh, with Stearns and, and kind of trying to unearth some people the way he did in Milwaukee. Yeah. So it, again, so when you, when we look at, we keep bringing up Andrew Friedman, but. This when you're the when you have the best results and you're perceived as the best, that's what you aspire to. Um, and with Friedman, it was okay. You know, you have you you have this Dodgers team. You're going to build it up, build it up, and then you're going to throw a crap load of money at. But you know, a lot of money in shorter term deals until you you get some you know the Mookie Betts deal. And but ultimately, you became the big market team with the farm system. Where was where was Milwaukee in that? Like where was when do you feel like they fit um in terms of that, in terms of where they were, what their their strengths, their perception, and all that? I mean, you remember that that's a team that took that had the Dodgers uh in game seven of the NLCS in twenty eighteen in Milwaukee. Well the playoffs uh, don't count. You know, it's <laughs> you, it could you could have had that that Boston Milwaukee uh World Series in oh, like, oh, yeah. all think, think about it. For. Well, but, uh, uh, before you go, like the one thing that you know the Unfortunately for David Sturridge, like, you know, he's also like he's perceived as one of the the best in the business, obviously, because he's going to be making a crap load of money, money with the Mets. But it's but it's also like I come back to last year, the Josh Hader trade. Right. That's everyone doesn't isn't perfect. But what the red flag throws up is the not the understanding of the the clubhouse dynamic. 
which obviously they were three games up and then they didn't make the playoffs. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, I mean, that, that like, I mean, he's not a, he's not perfect. Uh, there are people who have criticized kind of the Brewers didn't do a great job of drafting during his time there that, you know, some of the better prospects that that came of age during his time in Milwaukee were people who had been there that had preceded Stearns' time there. Obviously, the hater trade is something that he himself, I think, uh, conceded was uh, he miscalculated uh, the extent to which that would affect kind of the team's morale uh, at a at a precarious time there at the end of July and something that he might have done differently. Uh, and especially considering that the moves they made around that in the bullpen to buttress their bullpen, getting Rodgers back, trading for Matt Bush were ones that that didn't properly do that and didn't work out for them uh, in 2022. So, you know, that there's there's mar- there's negatives on that card as there are for anyone. Uh, yeah. The Mets really feel that the positives outweigh it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to crap on them. I mean, so if it's I, I, those are the things when you think of the, about the Brewers, because I think they have made subtle trades, uh, subtle moves that have worked, which is the key to anybody's success. And you mentioned trading with the Rays, like there it is. If 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 we're gonna put, say put that the negative over here, well, this positive is a pretty big one. You want to trade against the Rays? Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, right. a, tr- a team that has to win by eighty percent every trade they make. <laughs> right, the the classic uh, Sam Miller tweet. I love this trade for the Rays. Who'd they get? Who'd they give up? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you're going to feel good about it. Any trade that Tampa Bay is making, and uh, Adamus has been such an important part of that Brewers team ever since that that trade, which they made in May, which is such an unusual time to make that kind of deal. What do you? What's your vibe on Buck? What's your vibe on uh, what happens with him? You know, I, I think uh, earlier in the season, before the trade deadline pivot, I, I didn't think he was going to come back next season. Uh, I think the the decision, the, the moves they made at the trade deadline, make it likelier that he comes back. I don't know that that's likely yet. Uh, it, it's really, you know, I don't have a read on how Stearns views that that position. Uh, Showalter has one year left on his deal. There's uh, there's going to be a lot of um, speculation about Craig Council because he's a free agent at the end of the year in Milwaukee. And while Stearns was not the guy that hired him, obviously they worked together for a long time there. Uh, it's I don't know that anyone knows whether Council actually wants to work next year or wants to do what Stearns did this year and take a step back. Um, but you know, I think Showalter. It's it's an interesting question because I think on one on one hand you can say this team's going to be younger than it was uh, when they hired Showalter, so maybe the guy you want is a little bit different than that veteran old school manager. On the other hand, you know, when have Showalter's teams? been at their best is when people don't think they're going to win the division. They don't think they're a 91 team. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe he is the guy you want when you're going into a season thinking you might win 80 games. And why Appler other than, you know, the fact that he can sign Otani again for a second time. I mean, I, I think this dates back to when he was hired in November of 2021, that uh, he knew at that time that this was a possibility, that he was okay with this possibility, uh, that even in June, when when Cohen made it clear that they were going to try to hire a president of baseball ops again, uh, Epler said, you know, I'm I'm fine with that. And we've seen, you know, you go to, to when the Red Sox hired Dave Dombrowski and, and Ben Sherrington stepped down. And when the Blue Jays brought in Mark Shapiro and Alex Anthopoulos stepped down, uh, I think both of those guys were surprised a little bit. By, by what transpired there, I don't think Epler's surprised by it. Uh, and I think he's going to embrace whatever role uh, Stearns envisions for him. It, the interesting thing is, you know, Epler has kind of crafted this front office in a certain way over his uh, almost two years there now. And how much of that infrastructure does Stearns keep? How much does he he kind of tinker with? And how much does he unravel right away? That's intru- Yeah, it's interesting. The, 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 the other part about this is, you know, what is going to happen? You know, what is going to happen in terms of 
when you get to, I'm losing my train of thought here, but that's okay. Uh, this is what the magic of editing. <laughs> um, but, you know, so what, I know what I was saying. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the the fan base, so I can hear the excitement in your voice just because it's news, right? It's good. It's news. It's you're digging into it. Um, and then you have the producer Evan. He's excited. And you have this sort of dynamic, I think, where, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Mets fans are so jacked up about it. It's kind of like with the Yankees. Oh, my goodness, we got Jason Dominguez. He's the next Manny Ramirez. Yay, we got good news. Yay. And But now it seems like the Mets fans are like, this is the savior. I guess it's no different anytime you get a notable name that has had success joining your organization, say this guy is going to be the savior much like Rick Pitino was for the Celtics, you know? So, <laughs> so, but you know what I mean? Like, like people, people are pretty excited about, like, I mean, I don't know how, how you would gauge power rank the excitement if this, they were more excited about this or Carlos Correa or the brief time they had or the Scherzer or the Verlander. Or like, where does this rank in excitement inducement? Yeah. You know, we don't have Scott Boris calling it Correa miss the way he did uh, in December <laughs> Or anything like that, uh, you know. There's and there's plenty of excitement about Patino at St. John's in this, this neck of the woods these right. days. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, life. I think I think a fan base like you want change. When there's failure, you want like some level level of accountability. And I, I know that like you know Billy Epler is not being fired in this, but it is a, it's a kind of demotion for him. Uh, he's no longer going to be the chief baseball decision maker uh, for the organization. Uh, you know and again like the Mets Mets fan base has heard about David Stearns for a long time and Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson have been talking about uh Alderson's no longer with the organization they but they were talking about bringing in someone like David Stearns for three years uh and so it's kind of like the the culmination of a long journey to get to uh the person that they think uh can can do this job as good as anyone else and, and the person they've been waiting for for a while now when Scherzer got traded, obviously he dropped the dime on him, saying that hey, you know, like I was told, they're not going to spend money, and they're not they're ga- gauging for 2026. But do you think there is a chance? I mentioned Otani, and, and for a while I was oh, of course the Mets are going to be involved in Otani. How do you how do you sense that they are going to approach spending money this offseason? I, I don't really see how they're a competitive team if they don't spend something, especially in the starting rotation, which is where the strength of this free agent, free agent market lays. Uh, you know, I think Otani might be, uh, especially now that he's he's not going to pitch next season. Next season, you know, they'll, they'll be opportunistic on him if the, the, that price ducks below five hundred million. Maybe they they jump all over it. Um, but I think the guy who, who really stands out to me is Yamamoto, the other uh, Japanese right-hander who's only twenty-five. So a guy who. Uh, you know, they've had so much success with Kodai Senga this year, a guy who might get down ballot Cy Young votes in the National League, uh, that you bring in Yamamoto, who's had even better results uh, in, in Japan over the last several years, who's five years younger than, than Senga was this year. And you say he fits that timeline 
you know, even if we're thinking about 2025 and 2026, he fits that timeline for you. You don't see a lot of 25 year old starting pitchers on the free agent market. So that, and then that would be a significant, that's a nine figure deal. So I, I don't think they're sitting out free agency, uh, but I think they'll be a little bit more selective than they have been the last couple of years. Who is the guy that they're most excited about coming up? I mean, obviously Logan Gilbert's guy. Uh, well, not Logan. What am I thinking of? Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who yeah. the guy they got from, uh, from, um, Houston in the, in the Verlander trade. And like he's, I, I was looking at the other, well, we did a podcast the other day with Sam Dykstra and we're talking about guys who had made the most, the biggest mark since the trade deadline. He was one of them. Um, the, unfortunately, you do not have Pete Crow Armstrong anymore. <laughs> Pour one out for you guys for the Mets. Um, but uh, who is who is the who is a, and you have, still have young players, Brett Beatty. Um, so who who is the who is the player that you feel like people are the most excited about actually getting a full season next year? I mean, I, I think it's. Pr- I, I don't know if any of those guys they got at the trade deadline. It, it's Drew. Yeah, Gilbert, they won't be ready. Right? Uh, and Luis Angel Acuna, uh, who they got from Texas for sure. So I don't think those guys are be- are ready next season. I think both of them uh, have inspired a lot of uh, excitement from the fan base. You know that uh, Acuna carries the name with him, obviously, but. Uh, brings a, an athleticism that the Mets haven't had a lot of at the major league level. Gilbert really aside from like a stretch of the season where he was playing through uh, an injury has been outstanding uh, all year and, 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 you know, surged into a, a top hundred prospect status. But I think if you take a step back that the guy, and he's played most of this season at the major league level, the guy who, who should get, should garner the most excitement for Mets fans is still Francisco Alvarez, the catcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only 21. Uh, he's hit a bit of a wall here in the second half of the season. He's, he's caught uh, 20-something more games than he's ever caught before in his life uh, at this point in the year. Uh, and so I think he's still the guy who, if you're looking at at all of their under-25 talent, uh, is still the guy that if, if any of these guys is going to win an MVP, it's probably Francisco Alvarez. Oh, interesting. If any of these, if any of these guys is going to be a perennial all-star, it's probably Francisco Alvarez. Uh, and seeing him you know, grow into uh, being an everyday catcher who can handle the workload for a full 162 next season should be an awful lot of fun. Which hat do you wear more? I'm looking at the hats in the back of you. Do you wear the Mets hat, the Houston Oilers? Is that the Houston Oilers hat? Yes. Yeah. So most of the most of the teams there are uh, not Montreal teams anymore. Montreal Expos. Uh, well, the Mets are, are the Mets the only <laughs> team in existence. Is that a sign? I don't know. Uh, I think the Expos hat probably does get the most wear, uh, but you that's know a, it's it's a continuing solid. cycle. There's there's ones behind them too. So it's a solid hat, solid hat. Well, Tim, I'm going to finish off like we, I do with all the interviews I've been doing, which is what is the strangest things you ever signed? <laughs> the strangest thing I ever signed? No, I don't. Exist. You signed enough autograph or two. I know. <laughs> Are you a good cursive guy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I probably yeah. not 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 in my not in my like journalist notebook, the that chicken scratch, but like you go back to the college days. You can still make you can still make a cue. Oh yeah. And yeah. see. All right. All right. So I mean so I can write Rizzuto with the best of them. You can. Look at you. Look at you. I mean, I we've been asking this question and it's like bizarrely got great answers. I mean, it's like a pro- Marcelo Meyer prosthetic limb, Jackson Merrill, a toaster. <laughs> uh these are all prospects uh um uh Kerstad from from Baltimore system socks actually Nick Robertson also sock I think and then uh the guy, Matt Bowman who like you said for the Yankees 
very smart guy. I I, I feel bad because the guy, if, you know, you know, you this is the cross that you bear too, right? <laughs> oh, you went to you're a very smart guy. He's a very smart guy. The very smart guy. Uh, so this guy went to Princeton. Said, well, what's the strangest thing you sign? He's like, well, nothing really, but I make it a habit when I come out and they clearly don't know who I am and they they give me a player card that I sign whatever player that is. So like basically <laughs> like there's an Aaron Judge card with Matt Bowman on it. So well, it's I, a good- I used to walk out of McCoy Stadium when I covered the Paw Sox and, you know, you've got all the fans waiting for players there. And I was walking out with uh, with Dan Butler, a long time, like organizational catcher for the Red Sox, got a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Uh, and I, I turned to him at one point. It's like, you know, I wish like a, like just once a fan would confuse me for a player like I, I can't pass it all. Like no one's ever asked me. And he goes, don't worry about it, man. They don't ask me either. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, Dan Butler. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. He looked, uh, yeah, he looked like a player, sort of. Um, all right, well, we solved a lot of problems today, and I appreciate it. And I, uh, how much did you have to write? What do you plug something? Let's go. Oh yeah, uh, you know, the, Will Salmon and I at the Athletic have been doing a lot of work on on Stearns for, for for three years now, um, and we've got a couple things up there. The biggest questions facing him, you know, why him, uh, and we'll have more in the the coming the, the days to come. Uh, unspooling why this is such a big deal for the Mets. Did the timing of it t- as we sit here today, did that surprise you at all? Uh, no, I mean, I think we this week loomed as, as a, a probable time. I think once we found out, once once Will reported uh, that Stearns was able to negotiate with, with outside franchises after the trade deadline, it seemed like it was just a matter of time until we uh, we had a, an, an end result here. In well, gra- congratulations. Now, now you <laughs> won't you. have can, an offseason. I can breathe easier. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, well I guess it's one news one yeah, you don't want it to linger. Don't don't linger in October. Give the Britain family some rest. All right. <laughs> good good job. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.